Then a delightful idea occurred to him. Nobody was looking. They were all chattering about their ship as if they actually liked the beastly thing. Why shouldn't he simply slip away? He would take a stroll inland, find a cool, airy place up in the mountains, have a good long sleep, and not rejoin the others till the day's work was over. He felt it would do him good, but he would take great care to keep the bay and the ship in sight so as to be sure of his way back. He wouldn't like to be left behind in this country. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. And I'm Chase. And thank you so much for joining us. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the fifth book in the series, The Voyage of Don Treader. The general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we're going to talk about life and pop fiction and culture and whatever else we enjoy. So we'll try to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we're discussing The Voyage of the Don Treader, Chapter 5. The storm and what came of it. I mean, you could almost say those are the two halves of this chapter, Kel. The two halves. It's again, chapter titles, not Clive's strong suit. But Chase, you know what is a strong suit? Summaries. Can if you give us one? So, I mean, I, I don't know. As the person who writes these summaries, I don't know if that's true, Kel, but. And considering uh, it's a it's a good chunk of the of the amount of time that we have on this podcast, it's got to be something. <laughs> it's it is in fact something. It is. A I'll, I'll give you that something, Kel. <laughs> I'll, I'll read this summary. Excellent. Uh, so three weeks after their landing on the Lone Islands, the Don Treader finally left the harbor with speeches and cheers and tears, and the next few days were really delightful for Lucy as she enjoyed her new things from the Lone Islands and played chess with Reaper Cheap on the deck. Uh, but this didn't last as they saw a great group of dark clouds in the distance and the waves grew choppier and changed color. Uh, the wind began to blow wildly and Drenian yelled for all hands on deck and to batten down the hatches. Before they had finished, uh, the storm hit them. Lucy was sent below deck and was worried by the speed that they were going into the dark and all the sounds of the ship being tossed about and creaking and cracking. Uh, the storm went on for day after day till nobody could remember when it had even began. There wasn't any rest for anyone. Nothing could be cooked. Everything was wet. One man was lost overboard and they never saw the sun. Uh, when the storm was finally over, Eustace could resume his journal entries, though. So good news for us. We get to read Eustace's journal uh, for day after day after day. Uh, his first entry talked about how the storm had lasted, had lasted 13 days, though all the stupid others thought it was only 12, and how Caspian and Edmund were mean to him. The ship had lost its mast, and they were running short on rations. Eustace thought that they should row back to the Lone Islands, though Caspian insisted they didn't have the resources to make it. But of course, Eustace thought he was wrong, as always. Uh, day after day, his journal entries complained of the others on the boat, the lack of water, how he felt sick. But finally, they came into sight of land with a mountain on it. Uh, September 11th was the last day for a long time that Eustace was able to keep a diary which might be the worst thing to happen on September 11th at any point in history, at least for about 50 years or so. 
The next morning, they went ashore on the island and came into a bay surrounded by crags and cliffs with waterfalls. In a picture, it all would have been super pretty, but it was a lot more oppressive and uh, and bad in real life. They washed in the river and brought casks ashore to mend and fill, and they searched for a tree to cut down to replace their mast. The ship and the crew were all in pretty bad shape and in need of mending, but Eustace was annoyed at all the work being done and the lack of rest. He decided to slip away while no one was looking and try to find a place to take a nap and avoid the work being done on the boat. He slowly headed to the top of the ridge and, strangely enough, for the first time in his life, he felt distinctly lonely. He couldn't hear anything and began to worry whether the others had left him behind. He leaped up in a panic and began to climb back down. He went cautiously because a fog had kept him from seeing ahead. But finally, he came down to level ground, but when he could see again, he found himself alone in a valley with no ocean in sight. There was no ocean in sight. Uh, just like I there had was to, no sea. Just like I had to hide my eyes uh, and cover my face at your 9-11 joke. Uh, Chase, go ahead and inserting that right in the middle of his summary so I have no room to respond to it. <laughs> Did C.S. Lewis know? Who's to say? Who's to uh, say? As we said before, what if Eustace was the plane? <laughs> He's going to become some winged thing, you know. Spoiler alert. Uh, Make jokes about past tragedies to avoid talking about current tragedies. <laughs> what can you do? Uh, so, so the dawn better, right? Speaking of tragedies, Chase, we come upon our people. Uh, you know, they've been uh, out at sea for you know three weeks now, uh, and, and we're you know we're, we're just on the boat. And uh, before we get to a storm, Chase, these uh, I, I you know I mentioned a couple podcasts ago that whenever this phrase is mentioned, I feel a necessity to speak on it and especially this one because it's particularly hilarious and i don't know if cs lewis is doing this intentionally or not but the phrase is you know they're they're on the boat and they're describing uh you know what's going on uh <laughs> until you hear and the sound of caspian's trumpet from the poop chase the joke writes itself it really does i I mean, C.S. Lewis is so British, I have to think it's accidental, but it's also pretty, pretty incredible. You're going to include trumpeting and poop? In the, like, that's, <laughs> you, you're telling me you're not making an intentional fart joke here? Come on. Caspian just out here with that loud poop trumpet, you know? Just get your head out of your poop, okay? Uh, <laughs> it's part of the ship, guys. <laughs> it's part of the ship. He was talking about a donkey, Chase. Come on. Come on. We don't have to put an explicit content warning on this. We will not do it. We refuse. Especially not for saying poop. It's one of the funniest words in existence. Both of those hard P sounds. Poop. <laughs> and two O's. It's it's designed for a good time. It's whimsical, uh, Kel. It's whimsical. You t like listen to the song, you know, whoop dee scoop poop, and and tell me you don't giggle. Arguably, some of Kanye's best work in the last five years. 
I would say it's, uh, you know, it's, it is a song that he has made. <laughs> There's no denying it. That it is. We were all there. But, uh, you know, things start off uh, in, in this little voyage, uh, you know, from, uh, from the Lone Islands. Like, it, it starts out pretty great, you know. They're chilling. Uh, they're having a good time. Uh, Lucy's uh, playing some, some chess with Reaper Cheap. Uh, who is, uh, you know, the pieces are, he's got to lift them with both paws and stand on his tiptoes to move them around the board, which feels like Lucy could have helped them out a little bit, or maybe they put the chessboard on the floor, but you know. I mean, or they could have just used a smaller chessboard. Like they didn't, I'm assuming this is the gold chessboard that comes up like every, every book. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they've got to let you know that, you know, it's theirs and and it's a big deal. Uh, but we're rich, so you got to have the gold chess pieces. Yeah, it is funny though. Like in this game of chess, uh, it it makes sure that we know it's like, hey, Reaper Chief is a pretty smart dude, but it's also like one of his, you know, his character traits slash character flaws. He's highly aggressive, uh, and he, you know, is very like, nah, we have to, you know, move with valiant. Whew. God bless me. That bless me again, Chase. That's you. I apologize not, for that. Not editing it out. Acknowledging it directly so that I don't have to do that work. Be blessed, me. Thank you for sneezing. Uh, and thank Bless, you for blessing me. Bless Cal. Uh, but that like he's a really strategic and great thinker. So it's like if he was, you know, focused, he would win. But you know, most of the time he's like, no, I have to go sacrifice all of my knights in the warriors. Uh, and he just sends everyone to the front line. They all die. Yeah. You know, arguably that's not being good at strategy. In fact, no. that's the opposite. <laughs> um, I mean, charging in every time is not a strategy. As we will see in later chapters and in future books. And as we've already seen, Reaper Cheap is not one to back away from a one-on-one, you know, duel with someone who definitely should not be dueled one-on-one. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely, it's a problem. I mean, I because part of me, I like the idea that Rupachip would be good at chess because he's such like a warrior minded person, and yeah. that acknowledgement that like chess is a strategic game. It's all about like trying to think ahead of your opponent and figure out how to take out their pieces. But Rupachip's character is fully charge like ready shoot aim kind yeah. of person Rikuchi would definitely be great at super smash bros or mortal Kombat. not necessarily great at like long-term strategy games where you have to keep all of your characters alive i don't know what you're talking about kel super smash bros is a intense strategy game yeah highly intensive button smashing that i love i mean oh, maybe you're just playing with middle schoolers <laughs> well I, when i play with middle schoolers i crush them like a mouse, <laughs> but uh, but Chase, these these uh, these good times on the boat they don't last. You know why? Because the storms are brewing. I mean, yeah, brewing brewing like coffee. I don't know. It's uh, like that. I mean, you get yellow colored water. The you know the air starts getting like real like muggy. The clouds are rolling in. Uh, and, and whenever they see things like getting real bad, Drinian's like, all right, everyone, like all hands on deck. Um, 
which and I do like how visceral C.S. Lewis makes the storm coming in. Absolutely. Like it's easy just to say dark clouds rolled in, the waves get choppy. It's oh. different to say the water's changing color. And like, I, and I don't know if you've ever been in like a tornado or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like just the sky does things that you don't expect it to do. And the air pressure changes. The- yeah. It's it's different than just like a like oh it's raining now like yeah. or you like see how, it coming on from the distance and you go oh yeah like there's a storm it's like no like it can happen you know pretty suddenly and that's kind of the imagery you get here and it's really again it's good writing uh, and later you know it's going to start describing things as they're you know trying to like you get a scene of uh, greatly from Lucy's perspective of trying to you know see what's going on on the ship and all the people running around says there's a cataract of water that poured over the deck, which is a a cataract is like a waterfall. Um, but, uh, blindness, but yeah, it's, it's, it is also like that sometimes, you know, but, uh, it also says that, uh, you know, the poop and the forecastle were like two islands with a fierce sea between them. It's like, it's like two. I didn't even know the forecastle was a part of the boat. I didn't. That's even, a new word to me. I mean, for the poop to be like its own island in the water, it's got to be pretty big, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look. Sometimes <laughs> I can't finish. I can't finish the thought. <laughs> Moving on. We are grown adults in making this podcast. It's, Just uh, uh, it's uh, but the you know as the storm rages on and people are struggling, uh, Drinian looks at Lucy. Uh, and uh, asks her, not actually, you know, politely tells her because she is the queen and all to go below deck. Uh, and though she wants to stay and she, you know, wants to be able to help, she recognizes, hey, this isn't him like being demeaning to me. It's recognizing that like she's not a sailor. She's not, you know, used to being in a boat in like these kind of conditions. And so for her to be on deck is actually more detrimental to the crew because then they've got to take care of her and the ship. So it's, she's like, okay, fine. Uh, and though she's sad, she goes below deck. Uh, and Chase, everything, you know, the storm, you could just say, Hey, the storm sucked and, and we'd be able to appreciate that. But, but CS Lewis doesn't just give us that. He gives us a character who That's lets us the man know. who brought us like 10 chapters straight of walking through the woods. Yeah. And you know, this man didn't just give us woodwalking, but he gave us a character who's worse than all of that. Eustace. Are you saying it's September 7th and Eustace still sucks? It is uh, for, you know, for the nine days that he records uh, in his journal, plus the, you know, 12 or 13, depending on who you ask, days before this, Eustace always sucks. Yeah for this chapter and the next chapter at least yep and and, you know guys like eustace is gonna get better we know this if you've read this book before you know this eustace will become the the main character of the final two books or one of them And and he's a guy that you root for but right now man he just sucks chase yeah i mean I'm probably the only person who's ever read any of our podcast descriptions, but I have been starting all of them for this book with Eustace still sucks. I mean, you're right. I mean, I haven't been reading them. 
That's, I mean, there's no reason to I have to include one. You, yeah, that's, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But uh, as we, you know, have mentioned, this uh, begins Eustace uh, making a, uh, from September 3rd to September 11th, Eustace decides to record his experiences in uh, his his captain's log, his diary. Uh, and Yeah, because in case you ever want to really know what it's like to go through a st- storm, it's great to get the perspective of the most whiny, complaining person on the ship. Indeed, yes. Uh, because if we know anything about Eustace, it's not that he's level-headed. It's not that he has a good perspective on things. The main thing we know about Eustace is that he sucks. Yeah. Uh, and that's the perspective reader that I or listener that I really want you to take into these, is that you know, with everything you read about Eustace, remember, Eustace sucks. That's okay. Uh, But on uh, day one, which is September 3rd, and by day one, I really mean day 13 or 14, because as we start out, uh, you know, Eustace says like, oh, this is the first day I've been able to write in ages. Uh, It's been 13 days and nights, even though everyone else on the boat says it's only been 12. Like it automatically starts out with his arrogance being like, can't trust these professional sailors. Can't trust these professional sailors and every other person on this boat, except for me, all shares the same opinion. There's no way I'm wrong. And gotta love a contrarian. Like uh, it's a move. It's a it's a move, but you know he kept a careful count. So you know I think we should probably just trust his word. Uh, but we we realize that you know he he's complaining about all the things uh, you know that. He is, and his his diary entries basically make it be like he is the only one experiencing the storm, uh, and that like he is particularly like affected and you know antagonized by the storm and by the occupants of the boat. Uh, Eustace is the only victim of this one. He's a yeah. Like on this the only, boat, the only one who's worried about the food, the only one who could possibly know what to do next. He is, uh, he's the only one that's wet, Chase. He's getting yeah. wet on this boat and he's not happy about it. He's tired, turns out hard to sleep during a storm unless you're Jesus, uh, yeah. and True. not having a great time. Uh, you know, they then they, you know, they lost their, their mast, which, you know, not a, not a, a, a sailor by any any means, but um, I'm pretty sure the mast is kind of a big deal. Yeah, kind of allows you to like the thing that should be most important out of this, and it kind of just gets kind of just you you kind of move along as you read it. Yeah, but That's if I were in the middle of the ocean and didn't have a motor or like any kind of way to to move the boat, that feels like a problem. <laughs> Yeah, no, that'd be rough. Um, but luckily, Chase, for uh, the occupants of the Dawn Treader, but not for Eustace, they have an area of the boat that we have just been described previously, that that's where all the oars are. That's where they can paddle and everyone can row. Uh, and everyone goes down below deck to do this. Every person except for Reepicheep, uh, and because he is literally too small and cannot grab the oar, uh, and Caspian and Edmund 
are simply brutal to Eustace in saying, hey, you should also grab an oar and making him work like a slave, Chase. Yeah. Rough choice of words. If anyone Eustace. knows what it's like, this uh, pretentious white kid. Man, I bet that kid knows what slavery is like. Right. We should it's ask his perspective on it. I, I bet he's got an opinion. People, I bet he's got an opinion for sure. People like Eustace tend to have opinions on things like that. And they really shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. You, but, you know, Eustace does. That and, you know, he is just so upset that these fiends, not friends, of uh, of his Caspian and Edmund are making him work like everyone else on the boat, which is disgusting. And it makes ridiculous, it, you know, it, it's just... It's tough, you know, uh, but it's it's also like you, you see throughout here a few things like September 3rd is the longest journal entry by far. And one of the things that I do like that CSOS does is every journal entry gets progressively smaller. And for the most part, and I appreciate it definitely that. makes it easier to read when they're yeah. not like two pages each. Right. Is there he, a- he's real upset on day one. Yeah, yeah. And so he's, and two, he's got one complaint, and it's about how much food Caspian is giving him. Yeah, uh, but on that note, you know, he's he mentions it on September third, uh, and it's talking about how like the one of the casks of water uh, got you know knocked over, and it's and it's got a leak, and it's empty, uh, and he's blaming Nardian efficiency on this, not the you know storm. Uh, that is literally raging around them for at this point uh, two weeks, uh, which is nuts. Not uh, relevant, Cal. This is all not, not relevant. And so you know they've been put on a water ration, half a pint a day each, which granted is not a lot. It's actually very very minimal. But you've got to do what you got to do in severe times. Um, and you know, Eustace being the, you know, experienced sailor is like, we should have just turned around to the Lone Island, which granted is two weeks behind them at least. And they don't even know because they're in the middle of a storm and there is no wind blowing them in any direction. That's just leaving them in this storm. Right. Um, and so they begin to ration water. They begin to ration food. Uh, and no one is listening to Eustace's plan. And he is just upset by it. Uh, and, Chase. Then we move on to September 4th and uh, Caspian is, uh, you know, just doing what, you know, evil dictators do uh, and, and not like the evil dictators in the real world, but ones that are in a fictional world who make their people and themselves share food. Yeah, it's really more of the problem that you have if you've ever had like an older sibling who is choosing how much food you get. Yeah. It's it's that kind of problem. He's literally complaining that Caspian is being stingy with uh, the helpings when serving food. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's rough. But one of the things that I think is important to note here is if you read through the the journal entries, you see the character of like the integrity of the other characters coming through in really interesting ways even though you're seeing it from Eustace's perspective, who's going to complain about them and be whining about it. You see the other characters and how they actually are coming through. Well, Caspian is a good leader. 
He is, you know, rationing food and water for the whole crew and saying, hey, you know what? This sucks, but I'm with you. That's what a good leader does. You know, Uh, you see uh, Lucy throughout the whole thing trying to make things better for Eustace because she feels really bad for him. This isn't what he chose. This isn't what he wanted. He is her younger cousin. Uh, you know, she's trying to care for him. So she tries to sneak him some of her food saying she doesn't need it. Uh, later, she'll say that uh, she'll give him some of her water because she said girls don't sweat as much, uh, which is just a ridiculous statement. And she's making things up. Uh, and his response to that is, I've always suspected that was true. And I'm glad to know that I was right. And it's like, bro, you know what Eustace needed? Some more opinions about women. <laughs> And, and yeah, things that you don't need. Uh, but on uh, September 6th, uh, <laughs> I love this line because it's so ridiculous. He's like, heaven knows I'm the last person to try to get any unfair advantage. <laughs> and like, it's funny because he's writing this in a diary that he is the only one who will read. And so he's just having this inner monologue with himself where he's like, yes, I am the hero and I am selfless. And I know that I would never try to cheat anyone out of something they were owed. But. And it's also fair to point out that the situation on that day is that he snuck in the middle of the night to try to get an extra cup of water, which in a boat where there's water rations, this is putting everyone else in danger. Yeah, this is incredibly selfish and a big deal. Uh, and so the reason what happens is he, he sneaks in to where the water container is. He tries to get, you know, an extra cup. But Reepicheep, who, as we have mentioned, is too small to do anything else on the boat, not because he does not want to, but because he physically can't, has decided, hey, I'm going to guard and make sure that the water stays okay. I'm going to like make sure that that's good because that's about all I am capable of doing. And he sees Eustace, you know, going to get water and he's like, understandably really upset by it. And at, like, cr- like they create this big fuss to which Eustace uh, <laughs> complains about having to apologize to Reepicheep for trying to steal water. And then he, again, you see Eustace's perspective on this and he goes, and then Caspian showed up in his true colors as a brutal tyrant saying out loud for everyone to hear that anyone, not just Eustace, but anyone found stealing water in the future would get two dozen, which, you know, uh, he says, I didn't know what that meant until Edmund explained, but that means he was going to be, you know, whipped or, you know, uh, or beaten. but it's like, yeah, this is a big deal. Water is kind of one of those things you need to survive and you're depriving the people actually working and doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things we don't really think about in day to day, but C.S. Lewis does do a good job of communicating like, yeah, this is a big deal. You're uh, trapped in the middle of the ocean, uh, surrounded by undrinkable water. Your two casks of drinkable water is, is actually important. Yeah. And then Caspian journalists do get a little bit shorter after this one. Yes. Uh, says Caspian changed his tune and started being patronizing. And this is how he was patronizing Chase, that he was sorry for Eustace, that everyone felt just as feverish as he did and that everyone must make the best of it. Chase that jerk Caspian 
How dare he? And you, one thing you should never do, Cal, is try to be relatable. Try to be relatable. Don't, don't do it. You got to tell him how it is, Cal. You stinking millennial Caspian. Don't try to relate to these Zoomers like Eustace. Yeah, even though no flake Caspian over here being patronizing to the kids. Even though Eustace is for sure a boomer, probably. Probably. And, and uh, man, and, Eustace and, is a lot of older people that we know. He's a literal boomer. <laughs> he really is. That's not, I've not connected that. That is true. Until right now. But, you know, it all it, makes sense. Is, uh, that's how it goes. Uh, which, you know, explains, you know, why he's complaining so much about all these things. And, uh, but uh, he he's just real upset. And after that, you know, September 7th goes by, nothing too bad, just everything still sucks. Uh, September 8th, uh, you know, Lucy sneaks him some water and he's not appreciative. He just goes, yeah, that makes sense. This is what you should do, right? Uh, September 9th, they finally see land. Uh, and September 10th, they're approaching it. September 11th, uh, he gets upset at Caspian because they arrive almost when it's time to go to bed on September 11th. And he says that idiot Caspian wouldn't let us go ashore because it was getting a, because it was getting dark and he was afraid of savages and wild beasts, extra water ration tonight. It's like, yeah, dude, it's pitch black. You don't go onto an uncharted territory in the middle of the night. You don't know what's on there. That's nighttime is when all the animals come out. You don't know if this this island is populated, and you can't see if it is. And, but unfortunately, Kel, after September 11th, he forgot about keeping his diary for a long time. So I wonder why that can't was. See everything through Eustace's eyes anymore. I've always been told never forget on that day. So yeah, this is what they were talking about, Kel. Because you don't want to forget keeping your diary. Yeah, yeah, you've got to keep that diary every single day and complain about everyone else as much as possible. That's that's what my therapist told me a diary is for. So I, about other people and how they cause all the problems. You process your feelings, man. You know, yeah. uh, you know, in a negative way, in a really, really unhealthy way. But it, you you deal with them. You know, uh, and by deal with them, I mean like you, you more just put them in a pot and you stir them around. Well, you see, Kel, what I found is that if you can make everything that is bad that happens to you someone else's problem then you don't have any problems anymore yeah i you know I, I like that i've always been told that i am my own best therapist so yeah yeah i mean i've never actually seen a therapist i'm just i'm saying this is what i found to be true yeah uh, and no. i am the smartest person i know so and i think i've been told that i mean i told myself that and yeah you know, i found it generally helpful it's uh, how i end every diary entry but I just have, you know, huge anger issues and I get really sad and, and all the time. So it's great. It works out well. Yeah. I, you know, what might help that is if you start punching things and maybe what about people, uh, I mean, people are things and at least yeah, the way I, I treat people them. are things to me. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Cool. To, good to know we're on the same page here, cool. uh, but the journal entries end and we arrive on, uh, you know, this, this random Island, uh, you know, that, uh, C.S. Lewis describes like a Norwegian fjord, which is neat. It sounds very beautiful. It sounds like a great <clears throat> island. Yeah. I do like how he describes it as like, if you saw pictures of it, you would think it looked amazing. But if you actually were there in person and having to like get off the boat and go to it, it's rather oppressive in real life. Like it's not a country that welcomed visitors. Yeah. Like, you think about like, a wild island 
just like if you sailed up to it in the ocean or like even like if you went up to like a Hawaiian island for the first time by yourself like sure it looks beautiful but if you're trying to survive on your own on like volcanic rock and like jagged cliffs it's uh it's a little bit more difficult right great place to take an Instagram not a great place to just survive you know uh I only but, go places and do things for the gram Kel so right I, right I wouldn't know about that yeah, totally. But um, they begin to uh, unload all of their things onto shore. They bring all the casks that need to be repaired uh, and they start repairing them. They start cutting down some trees. Uh, they, you know, set to work and are just making sure that uh, that everyone's good. It's very noticeable that the Dawn Treader is a little beaten up and it's definitely not the same majestic boat that left uh, narrow Haven because, you know, doesn't have a mast and, you know, that's a bummer. And this, uh, this thing looks like it's about to sink. Kel. It's yeah. Bad it's, shit. it's probably good. They're getting off this boat because it's uh, good. Cause there's no way it can survive any longer, but chase while everyone else is working, they're cutting down trees. They're trying to, you know, find water sources. They're trying to cook food. They're trying to mend the boat. Um, Eustace, he's tired, man. He's had a long day. Really how long dare day. they ask him to help? Like, it's just honestly kind of selfish of him, of them to ask him, like, hey, you know, pull your weight. Hey, everyone else is doing more than you. Hey, you haven't done anything on this trip except complain. Honestly, who are they to even say those things to him? Yeah, it really, I mean, it makes sense that he would need some space. And Chase Space is exactly what he goes for because he looks to himself and he says, self, I've got a plan. And it's a good plan. What if I just didn't work and I snuck away and I took a nap and then I came back at the end of the day and no one will have known anything? I mean, it's it's definitely a move. And to be fair, they don't really notice that he's gone. (laughs) Yeah, because he doesn't work. Yeah, it's uh, it's the same outcome either way. Uh, and they were like, wow, Eustace is being really quiet. That's nice. Oh, wait, he's not here. Uh, man, Eustace has been great today. Oh, oh, we lost him? Best kind of Eustace is no Eustace. That's it's what I've cool. always said. Uh, in the main, main through line of this book so far. So far, the best Eustace is a non-existent one uh and soon you know we may not even have a eustace well you know there's who's to say but he walks away he was and he's you know finds himself going through uh you know the conversation dies out and it becomes real silent almost as if like there is a you know magical presence on the island trying to prevent him from being around people um but who knows uh something leading him into destruction and despair uh, but as he's making his way up the, this mountain and these, you know, crazy terrain, it do, like one of the lines that's really neat, it says this shit, like he's not as tired as he would have been. He's going pretty steady. He's got better feet on him. It says this showed by the way that his new life, little as he suspected it had already done him some good. The old Eustace Harold and Alberta's Eustace would have given up the climb after about 10 minutes. Like he's already in better shape. He's already got, you know, a better attitude. And C.S. Lewis, don't you try to make Eustace relatable to me. Don't you do it. Yeah. And 
it's funny because going mountain climbing is also a lot of work. Oh, it's a ton of work. <laughs> By avoiding work, he's giving himself work to do. Yes, and more work in the future to you know get back or you know to deal with other things that might arise. I mean, who uh, can really say? Who can say? Really, unless you've read this next chapter. This. Uh, but uh, you know, right after this, CS Lewis makes sure. But he he's not enjoying himself that much because, as Chase just said, it is a tough thing to make this ascent, and it's actually pretty perilous. It's like pretty steep cliffs on both sides that he's walking. It's you know a lot of like unnerving sounds and everything. Uh, and then he begins to worry that the Pevensies and Caspian are going to leave him. I mean, I would, but I'm not them. Yeah. I mean, they're, they've got to be, you know, protagonists, so they can't be jerks, but, or, you know, uh, just uh, either way. But it says if he had understood Caspian and the Pevensies at all, he would have known, of course, that there was not the least chance of their doing any such thing. But he had persuaded himself that they were all fiends in human form, uh, which is incredibly true. Uh, but he finally makes his way to uh, the top of the the valley. He's he's like, oh, I got to turn around, and he turns around and he sees this clearing, and he's like, oh, sweet, the fog is you know lifting, and you know the trees are out. And he finds himself in a completely unknown valley where the sea is nowhere in sight. So that means he's moved quite a ways, Chase, if he doesn't even be able to see the sea anymore. Yeah. When you're on an island, that's a that's a bad move. That's not great. And that's how the chapter ends, Chase. Yeah. It is interesting to me. I, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Uh, I'd love to give my opinion. You know, I don't. I don't know what you're doing for further up and further in. So feel free to shoot this down if it's where you're going with it. But the thing that came to mind when I was reading about this fog was uh, Shasta in the horse and his boy. At the end of that book, he gets led up a mountain into a fog where he encounters Aslan and he can't see where he's going and kind of gets the only route and, uh, what'll be more of an inconsequential detail in the next chapter is that uh Eustace's way down into this valley is the only way he possibly could have gotten down without like falling and dying um i'm curious do you think that this fog and him kind of in a one sense or another being led to this point is a work of aslan or like some darker magic of the island. Interesting. Yeah, that is somewhat of what I was going to talk about in further up and further in, but I will say that I think this is, I think it's definitely intentional uh, that he is being led in this area. Uh, I think there is some sort of force kind of at play here. Um, Whether that is Aslan or not, I think is to be determined or, you know, to be argued. Uh, But I definitely think it's, I don't think he just happens to stumble upon this place. It feels like he's intentionally misled. Interesting. So you think it's a misleading, not a leading. I. Or a leading in a negative sense versus a leading in a positive sense. I would agree with that. And that's, that's where I'm going in my further up and further in. I mean, we are at the end of the chapter, so if you want to go straight, I'll just, yeah, I'll uh, I'll dive I'll dive on in. So 
my my interpretation of this, you know, put your you know catchy phrase to it like we usually do. Uh, mine would be like the misleading of temptation or something like that. Uh, this is the beginning of Eustace being misled, and and in a lot of stories, you're going to see this happen where the the characters go there is some sort of influence or outside presence that is manipulating things in order to get a desired outcome if you've read the the mistborn books uh this is a big theme in the first in the first three in the in the first series uh is not necessarily knowing what is true um and I think that's a really important and interesting thing. But so Eustace is going off on his own and this fog comes up and he's going up this mountain in fog and there's nothing that he can find. There's nothing he can see uh, until wouldn't you know it. There's this one path that happens to lead exactly to the place that he doesn't need to be. Now uh, we get into the, you know, sovereignty of Aslan stuff here. I, in a way, I think you can't discount the fact that Aslan knows that this is going to happen or knew that it would or could suspect or whatever you want to say there. Um, but I don't think his intent would be, hey, spoiler alert, major spoiler alert for this book. If you do not want to have the next chapter ruined or the, you know, this book uh, the, the major plotline of this book ruined, skip ahead a little bit. Uh, but Eustace is going to go down this path and find a dragon that dies, and he will then take that dragon's gold and treasure and become a dragon himself. Uh, presumably forever, because this is what happened to this previous dragon. Um, before it died, it was a human that became a dragon. We'll discuss who later, uh, so I don't want to spoil everything in this book. Uh, but this is presumably not a good thing. This is, a, I think, an evil and a wicked thing. So I think there is some sort of magical force, and that is a, a thing that happens um, you know, throughout this book, is there is a presence and idea of there is some some bad force at hand, right? Particularly in the later, later chapters. Uh, but I think it's fair to say that there is something nefarious that is leading Eustace, a character that is defined by his malice uh, and his cruelty, his, um, his just bad attitude uh, that is leading him to a place of despair. Uh, so I def that's my opinion on that. Dope. Well, for my further up and further in, uh, kind of a similar track, but uh, I guess kind of the next step of that. Uh, what I want to talk about is this idea of the punishment of getting what you want. Um, how kind of basically this this theme that happens in a lot of literature and then also like a pretty like biblical principle as well, that if you pursue what you want, like if if it's not a good in and of itself, then oftentimes the judgment or the punishment for that is 
the actual getting of what you want. And, and in this chapter, Eustace kind of takes things into his own hands to escape the rest of the crew and his cousins to get some time and space on his own. And we have pages and pages of this book of diary entries telling us that this is essentially the thing that he wants most in this moment. And in his mind, the only thing that'll even make him happy. Um, but the twist is that when he gets what he thinks he wants, he ends up getting to this mountaintop and feeling more empty and lonely than ever. And like, it feels some real fear and loneliness that extends beyond just the longing for the alone time that he thought he wanted. And I think C.S. Lewis is really tapping into like a core human experience here. Like the way sin works is that getting the thing you think you want often brings more pain and isolation than enduring the conditions you were originally in. Like it's not worth it. And Eustace kind of serves as a mini parable within the chapter, letting us know that sometimes getting what we want is the punishment for pursuing the things that we shouldn't have. And long-term into the next chapter in the following chapter, we'll see uh, that that can compound upon itself and, and get even worse than just uh, feeling a little, a little lonely, which is the least of Eustace's worries on this track. But uh, yeah, that's kind of what I got. Um, Kel, we're, we, we've gotten up into this fog and I can't even see the ocean anymore. Well, you know, Chase, let me, uh, let me let you know where you are. You're in a podcast. Oh, this no. Podcast, Has it gotten uh, that bad? It's gotten that bad, Chase. Uh, I've, I've tried to leave you tons of journal entries about this, but you were too stubborn to read them. Uh, not that you'd listen anyway, uh, but you know, Chase, you're, you're on this podcast and the only way out of this podcast is if these listeners rate and review us five stars, leave a comment, you know, share it with their friends anywhere they find podcasts, Apple podcasts, Audible, Spotify, wherever. If they, if they do that and, you know, maybe they go follow us on Instagram and at the Chronicles of Podcast, maybe you can get off of this, uh, you know, godforsaken mountain. Um, and not have to, you know, you know, turn into some unseemly creature to do so. But listeners, if you can hear us right now, we're trapped in this podcast. We need you. We need you. Your help. Yeah. Leave a, a rating and review. Five stars, please. We need to yeah. escape. Please be a friend, not a fiend like Caspian and Edmund. Yeah, those fiends. Fiends, man. Fiends. But until then, Captain Log out. I don't know what the answer is. Shock, shocking news. I'm I'm not a political scientist. <laughs> I even political scientists. I don't think no. I mean, I'm sure they have more informed opinions than I do. But yeah, it, it just feels uh, feels bad, Kel. It, <laughs> hot take. <laughs> hot Four take. Three. Or not a good time. It's so, not a fan. I would like to come in with the take that, uh, you know what? Not a fan of war. I don't like people dying, Chase.